Amen. Amen. Well, at this point, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to invite you guys to sit down, but not yet. Before you sit down, I want you guys to, to help me welcome a very special man. And, uh, you know, I looked in the dictionary this week. I was looking at, at the definition of good looking, and it was just a picture of him. So I just freaked out. But anyway, welcome the uber talented Blake Kennedy. ridiculous human being alive. Just want that to be known. Yeah, can I get an amen for that? Come on. <laughs> Second off, that song, that la la, na 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 it's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the night. So you can uh, thank Chris for that one too. Welcome to Thrive, you guys. Um, if you're a guest tonight, I just want you to know I'm so happy you're here. Um, thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday night to just come and hear a good word and hear what God has to say to you. I promise you guys I'm going to get you out of here before the UK game, okay? Sound good? Okay. So we started a new series last week, and it was entitled, I Am Jesus. The first sermon was about, I am the true vine. And we talked about why it was significant that it said, true vine. Um, we talked about how Jesus is the one power source that can help us be the light of the world, that can help us be the hands and feet of Christ. And we talked about how when we're disconnected from the vine, when we're being fed by other things, how we die and we don't produce fruit. Um, tonight, in this I Am series, we're talking about I Am the Good Shepherd. And I love this message because this idea of shepherd and of sheep is all throughout the scripture. Um, it starts all the way in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, where Jacob references Jesus as his shepherd. Um, it's in Psalms, you know, you know the prayer, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation, where it speaks about the sacrificial lamb becoming the shepherd of his people. So it's a really beautiful story. It's all throughout the Bible. Um, but before we really dig into scripture, would you guys just pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. Um, thank you for bringing us all here safely, Lord. Um, I just pray that tonight, as I, I preach this message, Lord, I pray that it's your words and not mine. God, we know that you're here and we know that you're good. So I just pray, Lord, that tonight that we'll be changed, um, we'll be moved to act. Lord, you are awesome, and I love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the scripture that we're going to be reading in is uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, you can flip there. And if not, if you're lazy like me, uh, the words are on the screen. So I'm going to read through that, okay? It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration. They didn't understand what he meant. So I'm going to pause here for a moment. So Jesus is trying to get this point across about 
um, the gate and the shepherd that the sheep know the shepherd's voice and he's trying to get them to connect with this um, and they don't understand at first. They're like, okay, what is he talking about? You know, sheep and shepherd, I'm not a shepherd. Um, so he goes on to, to continue to further explain and I want you to pay attention to how many times Jesus uses the phrase, I am. He really wants his people to understand who he is and what his character is. It says, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thieves' purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So two things when I was reading through that passage the first time and um, praying about it for this message really stuck out to me. The very first thing was this idea of people trying to climb into the sheepfold, to trying to find a way around the gate, a way around actually having a relationship with the shepherd. And I think it kind of speaks towards the message that we were talking about last sermon series. If you weren't here, we were talking about this debate between religion and relationship. We talked about how without the relationship of Jesus, the religion is rubbish. And I think that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you might be a good person. You might be going to church. You might be doing all of the right things. But if you're climbing in the window to try to get to heaven that way, it won't work. The shepherd won't know you. You'll be a stranger among the flock. He's basically saying, the only way to heaven is through me. He's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The second thing, when I was reading through this passage, um, I kept reading, and it started talking about this hired hand, and that the hired hand um, wouldn't lay down his life for the sheep, that he would run when when trouble came. But that last verse that we read, it spoke about the shepherd dying for his people. And it it made me kind of question, you know, what is he talking about, hired hand? How does that connect with my life? And I I genuinely believe that what he was referencing was all the things that we run to when times get hard. All the things that we cling to to give us temporary relief. So if you're in this room tonight, what I'm talking about could be a bottle. Things get hard and you pick up a bottle and you start drinking because for a moment, for a moment it gives you some peace about life. Maybe tonight in this room what I'm talking about to you is You get in a fight with your wife and immediately you go in the computer room and you click on something you know you shouldn't because, well, she can't fight back with you. And for a moment, that situation is fixed. It's resolved. But it's temporary. You see, what God is saying here is he's saying, I'm promising you something eternal. He's saying, I'm not going to just go when the wolves come like those other things. I'm promising you a way out for an eternity. So much so that I'm willing to give my life for you. And he proved it. You know, we're in the Easter season. We see the crosses everywhere. And if you don't know the story, Jesus died on a cross for us. He fulfilled what he said he was going to do. He laid down his life for his sheep. So with that in mind, I think a better way that we can understand this passage of Scripture is to understand the characteristic traits of a shepherd and the traits of a sheep. I think once we grasp what that is, we'll be able to identify it in our own lives Um, And it will help us, you know, see the relationship and the response that we need to have to the shepherd. So to get started, let's have some audience participation. 
Give me some traits of a sheep. Just yell them out. Eddie, you hang out with Phil too much. Characteristic traits. Follower, that was good. Whoever said that? TJ, be quiet. Dumb, yeah, that's a great one. Weak, that's a good one. Timid, that's a good one. Got a couple more? Come on. White, that's a good one. (laughs) You guys need to be quiet. Youth group, just shush. (laughs) It's okay. So we see these sheep as very weak creatures, um, very timid creatures. And the the, uh, illustration that he's using is that humankind is the sheep. So I I have four traits of a sheep that I really want to touch on because I think that it speaks truth in all of our lives. The very first trait of a sheep is they get lost really easily. They get lost really easily. How many of you guys in the room tonight, just raise your hand, have ever felt lost in your life? Yeah, a lot of you. And I'm not talking about directionally. I'm talking about you've been at a, a point in your life where your purpose is kind of in question, or maybe that you're at, at a spot in life where you don't know what the next step looks like. Maybe you're at a place in life where you don't know how you got there. You know, you've been living this awesome life, and now you're like, oh, crap. How did I get this far down, this low? Yeah, you know, I didn't want you guys to raise your hand if you've ever been directionally challenged, because if you know me, you know I am the most directionally challenged being on the earth. <laughs> but I get it honest, my dad is too. Sorry, dad. I'll tell you a story. The other day, I was trying to go to Northern Kentucky University. I've been there so many times, but I was doubting myself, so I typed it into my GPS. Typed in Northern Kentucky University. I was coming from um, Hebron. About 35 minutes later, I ended up in a subdivision in Ellesmere, and it said, you've arrived at your destination. And I was like, unless NKU became um, a homeschooling institution, I didn't arrive at my destination. So now, now you know that GPSs are a tool of Satan, so remember that. (laughs) There's another story about getting lost. I remember one time I was taking my brother to a chiropractor appointment, and uh, I knew that if I went right out of the chiropractor's office, that it would lead me right back to the interstate. But I thought I was smarter than the GPS and the route that I knew, and I thought I was going to be able to find a, a back road, a way that would be quicker and easier. So I turned left, and immediately I got lost. So I started freaking out. Have you ever done that? You get lost and you just get that nervous feeling, so you start making really irrational decisions. So I start turning down all of these streets. I end up in a dead-end street, and two SUVs, and this is a true story, two black SUVs pull across the opening of the street I just pulled down and start exchanging product, if you know what I'm saying. I don't think I need to elaborate. Come on, guys. While that's happening, I'm trying to pull out and back around, you know, I'm starting to get really nervous. Teenagers are coming out in the street, and they're laughing, and they start throwing basketballs and kickballs and stuff at my car. Now I'm freaking out at this point, okay? And my brother, not to knock his manliness, not to knock your manhood, but he hits the lock on the car door (laughs) in front of all these people. So they start laughing and start walking towards my car. So, like any typical sheltered white boy, I got out of there as fast as I possibly could. So I swerved around these cars, and immediately, I came from this place that I was lost, I was scared. What did I do? I called my dad, and I said, Dad, get me home. And I think that speaks truth to a lot of us tonight. I think a lot of us are in a place that is scary. We've, we've wandered away so far from God 
that we don't know how to get back home. Maybe tonight, if you're a Christian, it's in your marriage. It's falling apart, and, and you don't know what else to do. You're at your breaking point. Maybe for you, it's at your job or just in your every day-to-day life. I challenge you to hit your knees and pray and say, Daddy, God, get me home. Maybe you're in here tonight and you've never had that feeling of having a father figure to get you home. You've, you've never known what it is to have a shepherd to f- come and find you and take you back into the pasture. Well, I want you to know that he's seeking you. He's seeking you tonight and he wants you to, to, to come home. You might say, Blake, I have my life together and I don't have a relationship with God. I've got a good job. I've got a good family. But if you're being honest with yourself, you know that there's something missing. You've had this, this feeling in your heart that there has to be something more. It's almost like a longing, like you're yearning to have this thing, but you have no idea what it even is. I want to tell you that, that that longing, that yearning that every human being has is something that's built into us. It's built into us as humankind. The thing is, is we misunderstand what that thing is that we're longing for. I'm here to tell you guys, if you're not a Christian, that thing that you desire, that you need, that you want is a relationship with the Heavenly Father who knows you, who loves you, and who wants you to be his child. The second thing that sheep are, sheep are defenseless and vulnerable. Now, a lot of you guys are sitting in here, and you're, see- you're seeing the comparison I'm making, you know, to, sh- to sheep and to us, and you're saying, well, Barack Obama might have a lot of things, but he ain't got my guns. And I'm not saying that you can't protect your family with a gun or you can't throw a mean right hook. But what I am saying is we are defenseless to spiritual warfare without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. That thing that you call a conscience, that thing that tells you, no, I shouldn't be doing this when you're doing it, when you're being tempted. Well, really what that is is the Holy Spirit. And without that, when you remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, you're setting yourself to be a captive of sin. You're setting yourself up to be a slave of Satan. And I know that's heavy, and it might seem harsh to a lot of you guys, but it's truth, and I'd rather tell you about the reality of hell than not. The next thing that sheep are, sheep are intellectually challenged. Somebody said that. Thank Furlidge. Good job. He said that sheep are dumb. This one's a hard one because humankind, we're pretty stupid sometimes too, but the other thing that we are is really, really prideful. You know, I thought I knew everything from the time I was about 12 years old. (laughs) That was a good one, Dad. The thing that ticked me off more than anything was my parents thought they knew more than me. Can you believe that? It seems like the older I get, the more I realize how stupid I really am. But we do it all the time, guys. We question God. We question his sovereignty. We know that he has a plan because we've heard about it in the Bible. And it's not just any plan, but he says that he promises a plan of a good future, of hope, of good things. We just have to be obedient to him. But we let life and seeing about this much of the picture dictate how we judge God. We get angry and we get bitter when things go wrong in our life. When we're struggling, We get mad and we say, well, God, why? God, why? We question everything. It's like looking at a Picasso piece of art on the wall through a straw. It won't make sense. I want everybody to do this tonight. 
It's goofy, but just humor me, please. Everybody make a fist, but don't close your fist so tight that you can't see through, through the other side of your hand, okay? Hold it up to one of your eyes and close the other one. What do you see? You see a lot of darkness, probably. You see pieces of things. And the fact of the matter is, right now in life, that's about all you can see of God's plan. And it might be darkness, but when you let go, when you open your hand and you see the full picture, it makes sense that there might be darkness in one corner, but there's beauty in another. See, life is filled with seasons, and we all the time want to judge God on one season. But we have a choice to make tonight, guys. We can either judge God for the one season, for the one small part of his plan that we can see, judge him for the corner of darkness, be bitter, become jaded, live a life filled with pain that we bring upon ourselves, or we can accept the reality that when we look through that hole, we might see darkness. It might look pretty crappy, but we can trust that we have a God that knows the bigger picture, that knows all the things that are beautiful in life and has a plan for us and we can have hope. You see, because at the end of time, when you have to face the the creator, the judgment is the same. The only difference is, if you choose to live one way, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the Father. If you choose to live another way, it's eternity separated from the Father. The last trait of a sheep is, sheep are very stubborn. I'm going to ask you guys to raise your hand again. How many in the room tonight would say you're pretty stubborn? Yeah, that's most of, mostly everybody. And the people that aren't raising your hands are the ones that are really stubborn because you're sitting there saying, I'm not raising my hand. I'm not stubborn. I think this speaks to Christians and non-Christians in the room. I think it speaks to Christians because so many times we know God is putting something on our heart. Maybe for you, God has been calling you to step up in a leadership role at church. Maybe for you, God has put on your heart to give 20% instead of 10% for tithes. Maybe for you, God is calling you to take some time off from work to spend time with your family. But you continue to justify and to reason why that doesn't make sense. You're so stubborn. Maybe you're in this room and you're not a Christian. And you've been pushing back the walls of God's glory that fall on you every single day seeing his beauty all around you, but denying that it's him because you're so stubborn. You think you know better and you think that there can't be a God. Maybe you're sitting in here and you think, well, I believe that there's a God, but he can't love me. Stop being so stubborn because if you hear one truth tonight that I say, hear this, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how many people you've heard along the way. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. God will meet you where you are. His grace goes deeper. He loves you, and he meets you where you are. So now that we've gone through the traits of a sheep, we're going to go through the traits of a shepherd. The first trait of a shepherd is he guides. Now, the thing I love most about this scripture that we read is that it's an object metaphor. So basically what that means is Jesus was using something that they would see in their actual lives. In first century Palestine, which is where this is set, it would be extremely common for Jesus to walk up to a group of people and for there to be a hill full of sheep. So he was relating it to something that they could see. So for that purpose, I believe that if Jesus was in the room tonight and he walked up down this aisle, he'd say, I am Coach Calipari and you are the UK Wildcats. Okay? And if you don't like UK, I can be, God can, uh, Jesus can be Rick Patino for you in your eyes, whatever you want. 
any coach. But for that, I'm going to use that illustration. So think about Coach Cal, what he does for the UK Wildcats. First off, like I said, he guides. He coaches his team. If it wasn't for his coaching, they wouldn't be in the Final Four. They wouldn't be national champions year and year and year after year. (laughs) If it wasn't for his coaching, they'd just be boys playing a game. They wouldn't be collegiate athletes. He guides them on the court and off the court. He teaches them how to be gentlemen and students of the game. And in the same way, Christ wants to do that with our life. He wants to guide us. He wants to lead us into a walk with him. He wants to give us life, but what does it say in Scripture? Life abundant. We just have to submit to his authority. The guys that don't make it in college basketball are the guys that have issues with their pride and they won't listen to a coach. Is that you tonight? Are you struggling to make God the master of your life? Are you struggling to listen to the way that he's guiding you? The second thing that I think Coach Cal does for the UK Wildcats is he provides. He provides them with moral support. He provides them with a standard that to most is extremely high. But he does it because he knows true athletes will rise to his, rise to his standard. Coach Calipari provides them with a game plan. He's watched film on the other team. He gives them a playbook. Jesus does the same thing, guys. He scouted out the defense, the opponent. And he's given us a book, a playbook, the Holy Bible, on how to have the best defense and offense in life. Scripture is filled with encouraging words if we just read it. And also, the Bible holds us all as Christians to a standard. The question is, will you be a true athlete and rise to that standard? Do you want to? Because when you know God, you'll want to. The next thing I think Coach Cal does is he corrects. As a coach, you can't allow your players to make the same mistakes over and over and over again because they'll never get any better. It's the same responsibility that a father has to a child. You know, people question all the time in the Old Testament how God could punish his people. But he has a responsibility to correct, and he does it out of love, just like Coach Cal does with his players. You know, for some of us, it takes really big things in life to correct our behavior as Christians. For me, in high school, I was living this apathetic life, doing the same thing, going through the same motions every single day because I thought I was okay. You know, I thought I was a good Christian. I thought I was living morally. So I never worked to become better. And then I was in a car accident, and God, he woke me up. He said, stop going through the motions. He corrected my behavior What's it going to take for you tonight for him to correct your behavior? Because if we're open and listening to his word and his truth, it won't take these big things in life that are really hard to open our eyes and to correct our behavior. The last thing, probably the most important thing I think he does is he protects. He protects his players. He protects them from media. He protects them from scandal. He protects them from other players on the other teams. He protects them from poor officiating when he feels like his players are being treated badly. And most importantly, Coach Cal protects his players from themselves. He helps them not give in to certain temptations as collegiate athletes. He helps them not get discouraged or down on themselves about their game, but he builds them up 
See, Jesus does the same thing. Guys, he protects us. He encourages us. He, he doesn't want us to beat ourselves up, but rather he says, I love you. He defends us. You know, the, the thing I hate most about basketball coaches is when they're apathetic. When they just sit on the bench the entire game, never getting passionate, never getting excited. The thing about the good shepherd is he gets excited. He's a passionate, loving father. You know, I love the Bible because it's filled with redemptive stories. In the other Gospels, it tells the same story of the good shepherd. But it also tells a story about a shepherd who leaves a flock of 99 sheep to find the one. The one lost sheep. The one who's wandered farther away. And the part I love most about this is the scripture says that the shepherd is more glad to find the one than to know he has 99 Guys, if you're not a Christian and you're in this room tonight and you've wandered away and you're in a really dark place and you're lost and your life has no purpose, know that the Good Shepherd is seeking you tonight, that you're the one. I asked Chris to play a song and during this song, just listen to the words, um, but also pray and, and think about how God is leading you to respond tonight. Hello, it's me, I 
I couldn't sleep, I was just counting sheep. As we close tonight, I think um, this message, like I said, speaks to the Christians in the room and to the people in the room who aren't Christians, who don't know about this good shepherd that we're talking about. Uh, I, I want to make a point that that word good doesn't mean what we think it means. Um, I know now that's just a typical response when people ask you how you're doing. Eh, good. doesn't hold a lot of weight. But what that word actually translates to is beautiful the beautiful shepherd. And what he means is not his outward beauty, but his character that is so attractive that the more you grow to know him, the more beautiful he becomes. Will you let him find you tonight? Will you find that, that beauty that's so attractive? You know, if you're a Christian in the room, maybe you're one of those sheep that has wandered away from the flock. You're at a place that's really broken and you know you need to do something don't be stubborn respond tonight don't even wait this altar is open come and pray give it to the Lord say dad take me home take me back to you tonight if you're in here and you're not a Christian man I'm praying for you because I know how badly Jesus wants to find you tonight. He wants you. He wants your heart. And nothing will make him more glad than for you to say, you know what? You're right. I've longed for you for so long, I just didn't know you had a name. God, come into my life tonight. If you need prayer, I'll be down here during this next song. Like I said, the altar's open. You can respond by, by giving the buckets or by taking communion. If you've never known what communion was about, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's to represent how God laid down his life, how the good shepherd died for his sheep to protect us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I just, I know you're here, God. I know you're here right now because I feel you in this room. And Lord, I just pray that you'll move us to action, that you'll convict our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that you'll 
break down our, our pride, that you'll break down our stubborn walls, that you'll, you'll lead us into your pasture. God, thank you for being a God that loves us even when we're broken, even when we're messy, even when our life is not per- put perfectly together. God, that you love us when we stray away as Christians, when we get lost and we make the wrong turns and rational decisions that just lead to nothing but brokenness and pain, you still love us. You're still there for us. God, it blows my mind that the creator of the universe, the man that hung the moon and the stars, the God that knows every single person by name, knows the hair on their head, still want us, Lord. You long for us just like we long for you. God, thank you for that. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you guys to stand. Uh, you can feel free to respond, to move about.